Hello, welcome to this Mercia podcast. My name is Mark Morton, and I'm sitting here, obviously, like a lot of us, um, rather shocked, you know, that day that would would always going to come, but nobody wanted to come. So, you know, my condolences to the royal family and uh, sitting here waiting for the uh, coronation of the new king, which uh, no doubt will be in a few months' time. So, uh, strange state of affairs for all of us. In a tax sense, uh, what has just happened in terms of the death of the Queen knocks on into politics, obviously, and taxation and so on and so forth. And um, obviously, with a new Prime Minister, she had made a number of comments relating to uh, possible tax changes. Uh, there has been also been some suggestion that there may be an emergency budget, although you know, I've not directly seen that from uh, Liz Truss. Uh, I think the chances of an emergency budget were always going to be slim. Um, you know, we we found out who the new leader was on the fifth of September. Uh, Parliament came back, but of course, it was going to break up again on the twenty second of September anyway for three weeks of party conferences. When we now look at that intervening period between the fifth and the twenty second, the majority of te- that is is taken up by the period of mourning for for the Queen. So that diminishes clearly the chance that anything is going to happen. Uh, with immediate effect, I think what that probably brings back into play is more of a normal budgetary process. There, there had been some criticism of list trusts. You know, I will change this immediately because normally what happens is the the Office of Budget Responsibility is given a six week lead time to produce the underlying economic forecasts that tend to go hand in glove with a budget. Um, you know. Events, dear boy, events seem to push us more down that route. There is now the opportunity for the new government to say, actually, you know, the OBR, we want some financial forecasts because we're not really going to be making any tax announcements in the next two to three weeks anyway. Um, that will then lead us up to, uh, I suppose, a more normal budget time scale of sometime October or November. Um, so, yes, uh, we will see. Um, having said all that, I'll probably be proven completely wrong uh, and we'll get an emergency budget on the 21st of September. But um, I think uh, circumstances are possibly dictating otherwise. One way or the other, whether the budget is uh, sooner or later, uh, we've already started work on our budgetary products, uh, particularly the budget booklet. Uh, so we will be ready to go. Uh, and if you want to place your orders now for whenever that uh, budget may arise, then then obviously uh, feel free to do so. The second point I was going to make, uh, and the third actually, relate to developments over the summer. The first one that I picked out was was really you know historically what I was taught was status, but employment, self-employment. Um, if you look at what has happened over my career with this, um, it's <laughs> it has not got any simpler. Let's say uh, the tests fundamentally haven't changed, so we're still interested in control and mutuality and substitution and financial risk and so on and so forth. Of course, what has changed a lot over my career is the mechanisms through which people have chosen to work to try and avoid employment um, and the taxation consequences that go with that. So, of course, we started 20 years ago with IR35. We've had managed service company rules to stop uh, umbrella structures, if you want to call them those. We've then had 
changes to the agency rules. Uh, and interestingly, over the summer, quite an interesting uh, court case to do with agencies. We've then had a more recent times off payrolling, and of course they all revolve around the fundamental point, are we going to levy pay as you earn on a payment, essentially, to a given worker, no matter what structure they come through? Uh, interestingly, quite recently, we've seen further uh, guidance, if you want to call it that, from HMRC, uh, warning people of the danger of, uh, of entering into uh, umbrella structures which purport to offer them tax savings. I mean, there is a bit of a moral with this. You know, I had some sympathy for people who got wrapped up in um, schemes a number of years ago because you know, how did you know something you don't know? There is a lot more information about some of these schemes around now. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Uh, let's face it, if they all worked, everybody would be doing it. So it's interesting, the developments in this. We've got a lot of sort of IR35 cases swelling around. The latest big high-profile one, Adrian Childs, who has been found not to be caught by IR35. Of course, Lorraine Kelly was deemed uh, to be outside of the rules. Eamon Holmes was caught and so on and so forth. And I think what you see from the court cases, they're all very exciting to the people who go. But primarily, they are about high-profile BBC, ITV, Sky, etc., radio, TV presenters, and you get differing decisions. Now, that illustrates the complete nonsense of these rules. At the end of the day, they were all fundamentally working in the same manner. Um, therefore, whatever the decision is, whether they're not caught or they are, surely it should be consistent across the, t across the court cases, and of course it isn't. And that illustrates the fundamental difficulty with status. We could circulate a contract uh, around all of our clients, and you would not get consistency of answer. Now, at the end of the day, people like you and I are supposed to be the so-called experts in this area. Now, if we can't decide what's going on, there is no chance for anybody else. And it's quite interesting, um, and under the Cameron government, there was consultation, which essentially, you know, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but essentially it said, point one, the status rule should be far simpler. A lot of other countries do it in a far simpler manner. So reduce the number of tests, make it easy, whatever those tests are, make the two or three questions make it easy so that you end up in a position, it doesn't matter who you pay as an entity. As the payer, if these three questions are failed, you levy pay as you earn. Of course, what we've started to get over recent years is then the employment law side of this as well. So Pimlico Plumbers is still rumbling along, Uber and so on and so forth. And of course, then what you get into is the, the wider possibly rules of employment rights. And it's interesting, if you look at cases like Uber, what you end up with is a situation where the worker is still returning as self-employed, but has got some employment rights. Now, that, frankly, is bananas. And interestingly, the review under the Cameron years basically said, well, state rules for the tax position on status and employment law should be the same. Simpler, and if you answer three questions, it says you're an employee, you need to be pay-as-you-earned. You get pay-as-you-earned, but you get employment rights. If you, you, know, you don't tick those boxes, then you're self-employed, in inverted commas, and you don't get employment rights. And that seemed eminently sensible. Of course, none of those changes went ahead. What we've now had in the last few weeks is an announcement by the government, a lot of new guidance, if you want to call it new guidance, but laying out the existing rules and saying, we are not prepared to bite the bullet on this point at the moment because we think it would cause more damage to the economy 
than it would uh, in the short term, of course, in the short term, but more chaos and damage in the short term than benefits. Yes, but somebody has to think about the longer term. We have a position where tax experts cannot confirm the the employment position of given individuals for tax purposes. You have schemes, you know, drawing lay people in saying, take this, it works, and it doesn't. So I was very sad is real wrong word, but I would, you can probably guess, you know, somebody needs to bite the bullet on this at the moment. And if you bit the bullet, you could get rid of all the IR35 rules, you could get rid of off-pay rolling and everything else. You know, it, it would be far simpler, far clearer, For leave aside tax for a minute, commercially. So to me, that is a big opportunity missed, but it appears that as though it's been kicked into the long grass again, uh, and the way things are going, you know, I'll be long retired before anything is ever done in these areas. Anyway, if you'd like to hear a little bit more of this, then uh, feel free to uh, attend one of our autumn tax update courses. And interestingly, having just got started in the last week or so, back to the world of face-to-face again, really, really encouraging to see so many of you uh, coming back to -to face-to-face. So hopefully I will see some more of you over the next few months. The final issue I picked, um, again, is something that's developed over the summer, which are government proposals on R&D, primarily driven. Some of you may have seen over the summer the revenue suspended repayments of R&D. And it seemed to be that after 20 years, they'd suddenly realised there might be a bit of fraud going on. Um, And we all know of certain third parties who have been prepared to approach clients over the years and generate what appeared to be dubious claims now i think the penny has dropped within the revenue you know there is a lot of uh how can we phrase this nicely there are a lot of dubious claims the question is what do they do about it so what we got over the summer was some some proposals for inclusion in next year's finance act now some of them um are more politically generated if that's the right expression so what you've seen is a number of changes which are essentially saying, why are we funding R&D and giving enhanced tax relief when the R&D doesn't actually take place in the UK? So there's a number of changes which are essentially saying, certainly for um, primary you know, R&D costs, unless the R&D takes place in the UK, it probably won't qualify. Unless, and the big unless, is that there was a very specific reason why the uh, R&D could not be undertaken in the UK, whether that be to do with geography or specialisms or whatever else. So it won't be impossible to get R&D claims uh, carried on abroad still within the UK tax net uh, in terms of tax relief, but it's going to be more difficult. There's an element of proof to say, well, you know, if you're claiming overseas costs, why are you claiming those? The other changes, um, there's some tidying up. Um, I think the the other two main changes are to do with the um, issue of who is claiming and why. One of them is requiring essentially for the first claim for essentially a pre-claim notification to be given to the revenue within six months of the year end to say we will be making a claim for this particular accounting period. Um now, I think probably that what that is to do with is to stop third parties coming along 18 months, two years down the line, amending a return in the fullness of time. I think what that is saying is you are more so saying you have to make a judgment shortly after the end of the accounting period whether you think there's some in there and notify the revenue accordingly. 
So a bit of a bit of a squeeze in that sense. The other thing will be um, increasing requirements on submitting a claim. So essentially, um, for example, for those firms out there that that generate claims themselves, in the fullness of time, it appears that somebody from your firm is going to have to put their name on the claim, and somebody from the client uh, director is going to have to put their name on the claim, saying. And presumably, we fundamentally believe this is R&D, which does suggest that somebody's actually thought about it and can prove it, or at least prove an argument towards that. Uh, will that stop fraudulent claims? Uh, will that stop dubious claims? I honestly don't think it will, personally. But it's the first step down this line from the revenue's perspective of saying, how do we control the volume of claims coming in? Because they just don't have the manpower. We all know that. They've got three men and a dog, and the dog is the R&D expert currently. So some interesting developments, certainly in the R&D. Do they go far enough? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, we discussed this further in our business tax uh, problem areas course later in the autumn. So again, uh, feel free to uh, sign up to that uh, if you haven't already done so. Nice to um, have some contact with you by podcast. Hopefully I will see some of you face-to-face over the autumn. Um, take care, everybody and God save the king.